Welcome to the 28th and final episode of Ghibli Jabber. I'm Nick and I'm here with Trevor. On each episode of Ghibli Jabber, we would normally discuss one of the works of Japanese film studio Studio Ghibli through the eyes of a fan, that's me, and a newbie, that's Trevor. But now we're done and all that's left to do is to look back at all the movies we've discussed over the past year. We'll finish by running through our definitive ranking of all the Ghibli films, but before we do that, we'll take a bit of a closer look at the Ghibli body of work as a whole, examine the contribution of each director to the Ghibli canon, and have a mini award ceremony for our favourite characters and scenes. Finally, we'll have a little bit of a meta-analysis of the podcast and what we think is the best way to tackle these films for the first time. So to start, I'll ask you, Trevor, what did you think overall? I'm overwhelmed by that question. <laughs> but in general, I am I'm very happy I went through this exercise. Even if it's just to be able to speak to the Ghibli canon when people talk about it. Because as you and I have discussed a million times, I'm, I'm a pretty big film person. And I will engage with people about film all the time. You know, and I've seen a lot of obscure films. I've seen a lot of populist films. And in this grouping of smell of, of films has always been the one that have um, grouping of smell. <laughs> <laughs> um, have always been the ones that have, I immediately just have to be like, Oh, I've never seen one. And it kind of kills, you know, it, it's kind of like improv when you, it's like saying no in the middle of improv, it like stops the conversation pretty dead with people because they can't engage at that point, because a lot of people get really excited about these films. And so I'm excited now that I have not only exposure to the films, but complete exposure to the films, Mm. to the point that I now think that I've seen, I mean, I've seen every one of them, and I know that I've seen more than any of my friends, even though, you know, a lot of them grew up with these films, quite like you. And so I I can speak to them to a higher level of degree. So A, I like it for that reason. And B, there are some amazing films. Um, there's some that I really didn't care for and something I kind of want to talk about that later in the podcast is we're going to rank these films today for, you know, where they stand for us today. But I also want to talk about what are the five films that I want to rewatch. Oh, cool. And yeah. And that's not, and that's not necessarily the top five films. Mm. Yeah. There's an aspect of that and there's some really great films and there's some ones that have like, you know, that have stuck with me and challenged me. And so it's been, I'm glad that I have done this. On the flip side, there are some pretty bad ones (laughs) that were a little bit rough to sit through. Um, But I mean, I can say that of any any studio, any genre of film, anything of that sort. So it just comes with creating works of art and they just don't connect with you all the time. But yeah. How about you? How are you rewatching? I mean, some of these you only rewatched for the second time. Some of these we rewatched for the tenth, fifteenth time. Yeah. What was it like going through chronologically throughout all the years? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, yeah, this definitely, I guess, forced me to rewatch ones that I wouldn't have otherwise. Thank you, Ocean Waves. Um, <laughs> otherwise, it didn't. I revisit most of these frequently enough that this it just felt like I was just kind of doing another rewatch. I don't know if I got any sort of, you know, sense of any sort of greater themes or I was, you know, exhausted by watching them all at once or something. Cause I do, again, like I watch these pretty frequently. So I don't think it had any sort of greater impact on my appreciation of these. Like 
seeing them all one by one, I'm like, oh, I'm seeing the real journey of this studio or I'm seeing the studio in decline or something. I, I suppose it, it does highlight, I suppose, for me that the movies that I feel strongest, I feel the strongest connection with are definitely the ones that I watched at a certain time in my life. And that was sort of probably within the year that um, I first started watching these movies, which would have probably been around 2004, 2005, I think, um, before and after House Moving Castle came out. At that point, I watched all of them that had come beforehand. So basically everything from, maybe Lupin was a little bit hard to find, but everything from sort of Nausicaa to House Moving Castle, um, I watched basically probably within a year or whatever was available at, Mm -hmm. you know, the local library or um, the video. So you watched all of them? All that was available. Yeah, I would have been very interested in anything that was available on DVD. Some came out later than others. Anything that was available on DVD or that would show, they were were shown pretty frequently on one of our... um, channels here as well um i i love you know i have a stronger connection to them than anything that came after how's moving castle again just because of the time the, the place where i was mm-hmm. in my life and watching everything sort of from how's on when i was maybe more of an adult i just didn't sort of connect to it as much so it definitely i can understand i mean you have other aversions to sort of not aversions but you're not as into animated movies generally probably either Mm -hmm. but i mean compared to me i'm not that i'm a massive fan but i think even now i can see why maybe you wouldn't connect as much to some of those early ones as i do because i saw them at a certain um point in my life where i was sort of more attuned to i don't know this kind of animation and these sort of stories that were being told and you know and most a lot of these are pitched at a slightly younger audience you know Mm -hmm. most animated film studios are to some degree, obviously things like Grave of the Fireflies and Princess Mononoke don't really, aren't really aimed at those audiences or even something like The Wind Rises is definitely not. Um, but, you know, I, I could understand why this is probably, these are probably best to watch when you're like a preteen teen. I think that's sort of the perfect time to sort of get mm-hmm. into this so you can like appreciate the fun storytelling, but also the the beauty of the animation and um how much work has gone into it. So like, yeah. So the last, I mean, like I've said before, I think the tale of princess Kaguya is the only film after house moving castle that I really strongly connected with. And that was just because the artistry was so amazing. Um, And while I've enjoyed others, I enjoy Ponyo and the wind rises. They just, they don't hit as hard for me. And I think that's yeah to do with the ones that I saw in that sort of big chunk, they were like Mm -hmm. held in the sort of highest regard. Um, and I think the something that you kind of touched on right there was, you know, relating it to them more so at a specific time in your life, which I completely get because there are some, like we said, I think, I mean, we beat that dead horse a million times throughout some of these episodes is them just like, I just don't connect with a story about a 12 year old anymore. But I will say the moments if these or the films that I've loved the most were typically the films that were at least able to operate in kind of two different worlds in an adolescent world, but then in a more adult world, that's kind of subtext to a lot that's going on. Um, like my neighbor Totoro and uh, only yesterday, way more so, you know, a, a reflection on your, uh, a person's, you know, going into their 
the later part of their years or moving out of their twenties and reflecting on the things that impacted them. Anywho, um, it was where that that's when I connected with these films the most is when they were able to either tell like a big epic sweeping story um, with lo- you know with lots of complicated characters because life is full of complicated characters who mm. do a lot of different things and ha- or, or motivated by a lot of different reasons and factors, um, or just it operates on a more quote unquote adult level. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I suppose. The last episode, our 2010s retrospective, we kind of went through how we um, felt about each sort of decade in general. Um, with, do you have anything you want to say about how these sort of progressed over time, and how you know, did you think they got more interesting, less interesting? Do you, do you have anything you want to say on that level? I, yeah, I mean, I think that it's pretty. When I just look at my rankings it's pretty powerful that, I mean, it jumps out immediately. I have the eighties were my absolute favorite, like the beginning of studio Ghibli, I think yeah. it's just so powerful and they come out swinging with so many films in a row that, that maybe it set my expectations and it set the bar way too high, but as we kind of moved throughout the next few decades with, with the exception of a few moments that stood out, like maybe, um, for me, Spirited Way and How's Moving Castle, with the exception of a few of those, for the most part, I was, it. they just got a little bit less interesting to me. Yeah. Um, and I think it just is reflected if you, like I said, if you look at my averages and my ratings throughout time, I think truly my, my least favorite decade was the, the final decade, um, with the exception of princess kaguya um other than that i don't think that i have any desire to watch any of those films ever again yeah um i did have a friend (laughs) uh shout out to arthur who got so mad at me about my critique of the wind rises so maybe i will have to rewatch that film someday but for now it stands that i do not want to (laughs) yeah maybe when you're in a a better mood or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, looking at the ratings, we both had the eighties rated a lot higher than what came. Right. Out. I like mine personally went 8.1 in the eighties, 7.6 in the nineties, 7.4 in the two thousands and 7.6 in the tens. So nineties, um, teens and the noughties were kind of all pretty similar. Yours went 7.4 in the eighties to 5.9 in the 90s then back up to 6.4 because there were a couple good ones in the 2000s mm-hmm. and then down to 5.9 again um and mm-hmm. you, yeah you're just should be noted your total average according to my records yours might be slightly different it was a 6.4 for all of the mm-hmm. films and mine was a 7.7 i think we i think i put maybe i pointed it out in either the 2000s or the 2010s retrospective I think what maybe a part of the reason is of, of why the maybe the eighties and early nineties were sort of pitched a little bit higher in terms of our ratings was that it was basically just those two directors. Um, and before it was sort of diluted um, in 93 by, I guess the ocean waves was the first non Takahata or Miyazaki film. 
before then, you know, even if there was, you know, one that you might have liked a little bit less than the other, they were doing pretty great work. I mean, and they always have done like pretty strong work throughout their career. But I think the more that they introduced other directors to do one-offs or to do a couple of films, that kind of brought the averages down. Um, Especially Miyazaki's son. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, so I did like an average of our scores for Miyazaki Takahata and then other in general. Mm -hmm. Um, So for you, uh, the Miyazaki average was uh, 6.95. Takahata was 7.2 and other was 5.1. So if you were to remove all the films not done by those two directors, you actually had a pretty good, um, they had a pretty Mm -hmm. good track record for you. Uh, mine was Miyazaki 8.18. I don't know why some I had two decimal points. 8.18. <laughs> Takahata was 8.1. So basically Whoa. exactly the same level. And other directors, 10. No, 6.6. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's Which same. is really bad for you. Yeah. Because uh, you usually don't go below a seven. <laughs> well, the only one of those movies that I really like, um, do you remember what that is? I mean, I could look at my ratings, I but I don't remember. It's Whisper of the Heart. Um, oh, yeah, you do love that my, one. That's my one that I would rewatch readily. All of these other ones, I've only ever, I'd probably only ever seen twice or once um, before rewatching. And I don't think I'll I have a great desire to rewatch any of those again anytime soon. Um, again, I don't hate any of them. Um, you don't hate Ocean Waves? Well, I mean, I have one below Ocean Ways, um, but <laughs> they're not, they're, they're second tier, you know, or third tier even. Yeah. And that, that definitely does sort of, it doesn't make me think, oh, it doesn't make me think less of the studio necessarily, but it does mean that they weren't a perfect, they didn't have sort of any perfect track record. And they're, you know, they have, there are weak, weak spots in their filmography. Do you want to... Do you have anything you want to say about Miyazaki in general? So again, you're, you had about a seven, a seven average. Well, what were your thoughts on Miyazaki? Obviously, he would be the one that you were most familiar with coming in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, I might get like yelled at. So what I'm going to say here is not just because I say one thing doesn't mean I don't mean the other. But essentially, what I'm saying is like I think that he is much stronger you at. Go to hell. I, right. No, I think he's much stronger. I mean, I, I mean, like in the comparison to Takahata. I think he's much stronger at um, world building and or, or taking an adaptation and creating a great world out of it. But he's really good at that, and especially like animating that world and bringing that world to life um, in general. And he has some very, very <clears throat> extremely profound moments. I mean, some of my favorite films are his films, obviously. Um, my Neighbor Totoro, Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle. Like, I still think about that movie. But I will say that... Uh, I don't think that he gives as much care in, in, in all of his moments as like an overall end-all be-all to characters as much as Takahata did. And I think that that's why I connected to Takahata more so. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I'm not saying ever, because he does. Like my neighbor Totoro, there is like extreme... Uh, intense inner looking subtext to these characters' minds and what's going on with them. And Spirit Away, same thing with Chihiro throughout her entire, you know, hero's journey and 
kind of being thrust out of her adolescence to you know, figure things out and to save her parents in the fantastical world, but also to go through the emotional development that she needs to in the real world. We kind of compared those two movies similarly. But like, I take something like Howl's Moving Castle, where I thought it was so incredibly great, and it falls apart in the third act. And so, in general, if I just kind of find a thread, there are these moments where I feel like he creates a lot, and then maybe he bites off more than he can chew, and then he rushes certain endings, and they aren't as satisfying to me. When Takahata maybe could do a little bit more editing in his films, because <laughs> maybe they draw out a little bit longer but I feel like they tend to be a little bit more emotionally satisfying for me in the end. Yeah, I can see that. I definitely, I mean, it's hard to say that, um, I was going to say, you know, Takahata's work seem a little bit more um, mature, but then you have something like Pompoko, which is such a ridiculous kind of bizarre. But it's like founded in, but I feel like it like, for a film like that, like I understand, I mean, it kind of reminds me of, um kaguya which he like he takes it in a very very serious yeah. look at kaguya but like yeah pompoko is a little bit more light bizarre but it's also founded in like this kind of folklore very very culturally significant and and it, like kind of takes the this the subject matter pretty serious it does. that's kind of one that functions on both levels for me where it's like super bizarre but then they're like absolutely killing people they're dying like yeah you know yeah, no, I mean, obviously it takes the world of how these forest animals live very seriously, but then, yeah, applies several layers of weirdness on top. I mean, I love that. <laughs> um, back to Miyazaki, I guess. Yeah, I don't know what I can say. His, yeah, his, I agree with everything you said. His ability to create a world is sort of, you know, you, you, is incomparable. Um, Correct. You know, every, every shot is gorgeous and labored over. And yet there's not that that's what, you know, he wants to create these sort of fantastical, amazing lands where, you know, there's these fun flying machines and, you know, he has, you know, his themes of, you know, about protecting the natural world. Like he, he has the things that he's interested in. Sometimes if those themes are sort of connected with the characters and it works very well. And sometimes when he's sort of trying to sort of, force them into a plot that doesn't quite work, like, say, something like parts of Howl's Moving Castle. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets a bit messy. Um, and, yeah, character is definitely not... I don't think he doesn't care about character. Agreed. And that's I what... Just, I'm like, my words are going to get yeah. twisted if I say that. I don't mean that by any and means. I think he creates a lot of interesting characters, and I do... I appreciate his... I mean, I suppose we can basically look at sort of the criteria that we apply to them. I appreciate his focus on female protagonists, which mm-hmm. is basically yeah. all of them apart from um, Wind Rises and Porco Rosso. Um, I mean, maybe Mononoke, depending on... But, I mean, there's always sort of strong female characters in some form in all of his films. Mm-hmm. They're all gorgeous. They all feel... Like, there's so much creativity on screen at, at any point, you know, any sort of scene in spirited away and you're like how did he think of all of these things like Mm -hmm. and you know it's and it's often random things random magic random moments that don't really tie into anything but it's just just there on the screen to sort of amaze you or to like be a bit of color in the background um yeah it's just and they're again especially those ones 
howling before to me like they're very comforting to go and watch to like their worlds you sort of get lost in even the ones that aren't super fantastical like something like kiki which has magical elements but is very grounded otherwise apart from you know a couple talking cats and Mm -hmm. stuff like that it's just the world he creates there is very much just like you know a fun like a european town but the sort of there's a goodness and gentleness to a lot of his characters and even in a lot of and even in his films where there are sort of protagonists and villains, usually the villains will have sort of enough colour that they're not sort of irredeemable people. There's like, there's a humanity through them. So I appreciate that he does try to give all of his characters a little bit of humanity. I I was going to, I was literally just thinking that, that I feel like he subverts expectations with villains. And that was kind of one of the most surprising things for me, especially watching a film like in the 80s. I don't expect... I expect a film in the 80s to be very, very cut and dry like these. The good people, these the bad people, the bad people are always bad. The good people are always good. And so that was probably one of the most shocking and like, surprising moments for me. Right out of the gate watching uh, Nausicaa was that these characters were so, like, they just, they weren't flat. They weren't, they were very dynamic. They were subverting my expectations. Even the villains, like, you understood why they were making the, the decisions that they, that they made. You may not have made them yourself you got it and so i could i i couldn't agree more and that's kind of what i meant by like i i knew i don't want that to be like misconstrued i don't think that he by any means has like completely flat characters i guess for me it's more so i mean and i I don't need to like always compare him to takahata but i will always go back to takahata because he had some of the most he had the a couple of the films that really moved me the most it made me kind of reflect on my life as a 20 year old man and you know how do i connect to these films and so I guess I just, they're like, they don't, they don't reach that level for it to me. And there's probably, probably like a fantasy element too, Mm -hmm. because Takahata kind of takes a little bit more seriousness with certain, certain of his films. But, but I agree with you completely separate expectations to create well-rounded characters in all of his films. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was going to say that a lot of it might come down to these sort of, the characters are often, you know, children and children on a mission in sort of a very sort of in sort of a complex plot as well so there's not often there's you know they have to solve certain things like there's not enough always a lot of time to sort of you know really nail down you know the character motivations in every second because they have to kind of get through this thing and often and also they're quite young so they're not going to have great moments of sort of introspection or like you Mm -hmm. know they, they can only have so many sort of shades so yeah so maybe they don't always pop as much um as they could but i do think he does put a certain level of attention into the characters i think um and like i think both directors do i think he takes the time to and i've said it a million times to sort of show how his characters um find sort of small joys in sort of the world that they're living in especially the younger characters and i think him as a director as well he's the attention to detail and the small things you know any corner of a screen like you know there'd be a little little flower just coming out of the box you know there's his attention to detail and his appreciation of the little things that make life great i've always sort of connected to it and that's but that's both me miyazaki and um takahata i'd say well do you want to talk a little bit more about takahata seeing as you have such a crush on him Um, (laughs) i mean obviously let's start with the one you don't like how how do you feel that can, that sits within his filmography? I'm like completely oh oh 
Okay, you well, like, it. it's so funny. I literally just had to look at the list because I forgot. And and it's so funny because I was scrolling through HBO Max last night and then it, like, came up and I was just like, ugh, like, put this in the TV section. And so for me, that's why I forgot because it's just not a movie to me. And I just, like, I will continue to beat that freaking dead horse over and over and over again. But I forget it because it just, it was a bunch of Nickelodeons. It's just a bunch of little clips. There's no... There is nothing special about that movie. And the fact that it's a freaking movie and that I actually kind of find it embarrassing that they put this in canon and they consider it a film. Like, it's cute. I don't care that it's cute. It's not meant, it doesn't make sense to me that this is considered a film. Like, what? That is like a best of clips, that is like a bloopers reel. And we consider this a film. Anywho, if I had been like duped into going and seeing it's that. It's the Parisia term of the uh, Ghibli canon. It's the intermission. Yeah, clearly it's smack dab in the middle. It's the intermission to all of their films. But Wait, is that I what you heard I said? Did you hear no, I did. I'm, okay. con- I'm considering the intermission. Um. <laughs> of course, about my neighbors, the Yamadas, we didn't say. But, um. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yes, my neighbors, the Yamadas. But no, I, I don't. I consider, I still keep them up there so high because I would be so interesting to look at what my average score was if you take that movie out of it because that's obviously bringing down my average so much. Um, anywho, he... Around eight, I think. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that speaks even higher to Takahata because I'm way more uh, harsher with my rating than you are. Mm. Um and so, yeah, that just completely brings it down. But, I, but, but honestly, if I want as we talk about him overall, if I talk about the canon of his work, I just don't consider that a film. And so, I just don't even consider it with a group. I would always consider it something else and something on the outside. Um, and so, in general, even something like Poem Poco, which I gave it a lower score, I think I gave it a seven. Yeah. Um, a, where you know. And I think that if I, if I remember back on that one, I mean, I remember most of the film, which is good because like we've discussed, there are some of these films in here that I just don't remember at all. Like from up on Poppy Hill, I can't tell you much. Um, <laughs> but but Pompoco, I can tell you a lot of it. But even though it's, a, it's, a, it's on the lower tier, and I think that it had to do more to do with editing. And I kind of mentioned that earlier with the uh, difference between him and Miyazaki is that most of the time I feel like Miyazaki doesn't have enough time to wrap up his stories, which is fascinating because sometimes his movies are extremely long, but he creates these insanely huge worlds and like where they deserve a lot of time. And they could easily, some of his films could have sequels. Some of his films, I want to have sequels like Howl's Moving Castle. Like I would die for a Howl's Moving Castle sequel. But with Takahata, it just feels like sometimes he could edit and he could really sit down and remove some of it. Um, even like Princess Kaguya, yeah, I, like we said, I think that's a little bit lower on my end, um, even though it's, it's, I think, his best animated film. Absolutely beautiful, profound. You know, he spent so many years doing it. I just think that I get a little bored with certain amounts of the repetition where I, yes, I think overall my biggest critique of Takahata would be that. Like, mm. let's, let's, let's tighten things a little bit more. But um, overall, his worlds, I mean, not even worlds, his, uh, his stories and his characters are the characters that I want to sit with more. Mm-hmm. These are the ones that, made, that challenged me 
the most because they also like only yesterday that movie i watched that and i i mean i know for a fact i mentioned during that that um i would love that for it to be a live action film which i know is blasphemy because we're talking about an animated series of films but that one could have easily been a live action film and i would have that would be something i would have went to like the art house cinema here in salt lake city and gone and seen that with a friend and connected to on a powerful level not that i didn't as an animated film but i just kept thinking that while watching it um so so yeah i just found his i found as an adult that i connected more to his body of work um than i did with miyazaki and i think that that really just has to comes down to age and where i'm at in my life mm. yeah i totally get that mm-hmm. my thing about takahata is that i mean he only made five movies but they're also incredibly different from each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, we start with a movie like Grave of the Fireflies, sort of a sobering war drama, but like poetic as well. Only Yesterday is sort of a very straightforward, you know, slightly sort of, I mean, slightly somber sort of look back <laughs> at childhood. And it's, you know, it's a very, it's the most, like you said, it's the most, it's the one that could be easily made into a film in um, like a filmed What's the one? Live action movie. Um, yes, and you wouldn't easily. You think like, why isn't this animated? Um, Pom Poco is like no other film ever made and ever will be made because <laughs> it's so crazy. My Neighbors and Mothers <laughs> is a fascinating experiment. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, Princess Gugler is this very old-fashioned folktale. Um, and they all look incredibly different. They're like, mm-hmm. there's a particular style that he's he obviously decides before making each film and there's, you know, I mean, there's maybe some connections with um, how he's deciding to, to paint and what sort of processes he goes through, but they're very different looking. Um, and he's choosing sort of the art style that um, fits best with the story that he's telling. And even with something like Pompoko, it's like he'll go between different styles um, within the same movie just to make it harder for himself, like animating the, tanuki in like three different ways that's something that miyazaki wouldn't do like all of his films basically look similar i mean miyazaki i mean or you know yeah. they're just they get they're getting more and more precise in terms of what animation can do and sort of the scope of what they can do but takahara is just on a, on a different playing field in terms of how he sort of uses the form to tell his story yes. um and yeah they're not they're not as easily satisfying as Miyazaki's films. His storytelling isn't as, there's a certain, you know, joy in a Miyazaki film that you don't sort of necessarily get as easily in these films because they're going for something a little bit more interesting. Um, And like, like, you know, looking at my scores, I rated them basically the same. I think they're both um, amazing um, directors who who won't be surpassed anytime soon. Um, mm-hmm. So I think yeah, they're, they've both done amazing things, but they're very Miyazaki's will always be the sort of the better known because his work is a little bit more crowd pleasing. Um, I, I think Takahata will always be appreciated by people who want something a little bit more in their more artistry in their um, art, I guess. That and like you, I mean, you said it too. Is uh, I feel like you have to be a little bit more. A little bit more of an active viewer while watching Takahata's films. 
yeah. um, rather than a passive viewer. Because like you said, the Miyazaki films, not that they're not, not that they're not complex, but mm. that you can, you, they can function on a level of, oh, this is, I'm just going to watch this for purely entertainment sake. I don't need to really think while I'm watching this. Um, I think you get less of that with Takakata. I think you have to engage with the material more. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before we go on to like the other directors, the criteria that I chose, um, like we can go through them all, but for each of these directors, how did you think they worked? And did you have, not that I, I should have asked you before, are there any other things that you would consider as a potential criteria for, say, Miyazaki and Takahata? So the ones um, I had put together for Miyazaki were strong female, strong or complex female characters, um, environmental concerns, flying machines and flight, the power of love, and like water, like how often water um, appears in the film in terms of like boats, islands, rivers, etc. Are there any you would sort of take out and replace with something else, or do, what do you think of those? Um, I think that if I was to create another category, it would be, and it's hard to like, it's hard to like, how would I rate this? I guess it might be more binary, like yes or no kind of thing. But did it involve kind of like a like a hero's journey? And that's, and I'm not saying like, did it involve somebody growing? Because all these films will have character growth, but it's more so like that. Very much so, the protagonist is thrust into a world-shattering event that completely changes their paradigm in life, hmm. and then they have to go through some sort of or some sort of journey, some sort of grief, um, calling action to come out on the other side with a different paradigm and a different worldview. Um, I think that Miyazaki, a lot of his films do that. I mean, I think Nausicaa completely does that. Um, My Neighbor Totoro completely, like there's a, there's a adolescence shattering moment with, with the two sisters and um, her her losing her sister, her going through grief with her mother. um, And then coming on the outside of that, probably understanding a little bit more about herself and the world in a fantastical way. Um, Kiki, she's sent, she's sent on like the literal hero's journey. Mm-hmm. She's, she's sent away from her family. She has to go and figure out how to do her life by herself. And, um, how does she fit in the world as a young witch? Um, I could go through most of these and there's an aspect of the hero's journey there, which I think that you could, somebody could write some, some cool like, dissertation on it. You could apply that to, Lots of movies, right? I mean, that's lots of, of movies idea. completely. But I think that he, I think that he specifically plays with it a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely very popular in fantasy. I, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's way, way more popular. But I think about it like Takahata. I don't see a lot of heroes' journeys in his films. Like only yesterday, it's not. She's not. She's not shattering her paradigm by being thrust into a moment of where everything that she knew prior doesn't make sense anymore, and she needs to figure out what is now and how to go from here. I don't see that there. I mean, my neighbor's email just ticks all the boxes for everything because it's just a <laughs> um, No, only, only Ocean's Waves does. The Takahata criteria, I think we hit more. They, they were more, um, they were higher scoring, I would say, than the ones for Miyazaki. But as a reminder, we had, again, environmental concerns, unique animation style, distinctly Japanese narrative, interest in the passing of time and then also the focus on food. What, what did you think about those? I think the only one that I can see that didn't hit super like 
as hard um, was maybe the environmental concerns, which is something that hits a bit harder in um, Miyazaki films. But would you have had any alternatives? No. And I think that... No. No, I wouldn't. The only thing I would say, I, I think I, I've mentioned it on basically every uh, Take a Harder episode, is that I think maybe more than just concern with the environment is um, his interest in that divide between um, city life and country life and that sort of rural metro divide. I, I see it in basically every, in a lot of the things that he does. I mean, obviously only yesterday is literally someone going from the city um, to the country. Kaguya is the opposite of that. Pompoko is about how sort of the city is encroaching on the country and Grave of the Fireflies. I mean, obviously they go from the city to the country. This is not, it's not as, um, about that the fact that that's sort of set in the countryside sort of does speak to um, what the film's sort of getting at as well i mean my neighbor's imatis is the only one that kind of is its own beast i think and doesn't really speak to the things that um takahata sort of likes to speak about apart from the um distinctly japanese narrative i think we can i think basically all of them had that to some degree, like a distinctly Japanese narrative, and all of them hit the unique animation style criteria, which is probably a bit of a cheat, but you couldn't necessarily. But they're also say very that. different. So I yeah. get why you chose that category, because they change so very often. Maybe I didn't understand it in the beginning, but it's like there was there was a you reason yeah. why. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I'm like, I don't know, it's not that unique. <laughs> yeah, and I mean you can't you could say that about, say, Ponyo or something from Miyazaki, but apart from that, they all they all feel like they're directed by the same person in a similar sort of style. Um, but Takahata's, you know, none of them look the same as we've discussed. Um, and like, and maybe that distinctly Japanese narrative is what makes them a little bit tougher. You know, it, it feels like you know Miyazaki's films are very much influenced by sort of Western fantasy storytelling, but Takahata's play a little bit more into, uh, you know, the real world realities of the realities of life in Japan and then also Japanese sort of folklore and folkloric storytelling, which makes them maybe a little bit harder for us to get into, but more interesting and intriguing um, and different than what Miyazaki gives us. Do you have anything more you want to say about any of the other directors? Obviously, there were only here. there were two. There are only two others that did too. There was Yonobayashi who did Ariati, and when Mani was there, and there was Goro Miyazaki who did Tales from Earthsea and from Up on Poppy Hill. Um, when no, Mani was there, is probably the one I enjoyed the most of those, but none of them I loved. What are your thoughts? I don't have many thoughts. So <laughs> yeah, I don't even want to spend time talking about them. I mean, Yonobayashi, sure, like Ariati very pretty and very fun to like, like experience that world, but it just doesn't really go anywhere for me. Yeah. I think Yonabe actually has sort of the more potential of the two. Um, and I definitely think um, Kondo who did uh, whisper of the heart again, I really wish that <clears throat> he didn't die. Um, <laughs> Cause sad. I really love that film. <laughs> yeah. You gave that. And when Marnie was there 6.5. So I guess they're, they're the two that you disliked the least. <laughs> and again, my average was 6.6 .6 and yours was 5.1. So a clear drop. Um, clear drop. Uh, before we get to our little award ceremony and our final rank, 
I did just want to discuss, just have an open discussion, free and frank exchange of ideas um, about how the strictures, I guess, we put on this podcast and how we decided to do it. Do you think, from your perspective, would you have preferred starting with the ones that were the easiest ones to get into and then sort of working backwards? Or did you, what did you think about watching them all chronologically? Or, you know, would you have preferred to watch all the Miyazakis at once? Like, do you have any thoughts on how we did it? I don't have like profound thoughts on it, but I more so I like the way that we did it. I think that it just makes sense chronologically. Like these to watch the passing of time of their style, how they grew, where did they maybe slip up a little bit? Um, how did the the studio? Because I, I think that that contains a narrative of like how did the studio grow as a studio? Mm. Um, where did they gain their popularity? Why did people start to fall in love with the studio? Because you would you wouldn't get that just from I mean I guess you could get it if you watched the director's films chronologically maybe you'd get it there but no I liked breaking it up I wouldn't have wanted to watch all of Takahata's films at the exact same time I think that I would have enjoyed them a little bit less and I think the same thing with Miyazaki's maybe I I, I liked that it broke it up with maybe a fantastical world building um, to a film that's a little bit more introspective about everyday life or whatnot yeah. so. No, I liked I liked the way in which we did it, and I wouldn't I wouldn't change it. Oh, I'm glad. Um, honestly, what, did you mostly watch these subtitled or mostly dubbed, or what was the split for you? I actually talked about this with my friend. So we talked at the beginning about mostly watching um, um, subtitles, but what I found myself was I'm like I'm doing a podcast about animation it's very and so for me it was like very important that i wanted to watch the actual animation and not be distracted by reading and so i started with the first couple of films with with the subtitles on but i found myself as we started recording these that i was like i was missing moments i was missing shots i was missing scenes and their impact on me visually because i was distracted by reading a lot and so for me it was it was more important for me to be like, okay, my first go around, if I really want to speak to this medium, I'd rather watch them, focus on that, focus on the stories, focus on the characters, focus on how I feel when I see it, when I'm seeing it. Mm-hmm. And the ones that I connected with the most, I'm going to go back and watch them, you know, in their natural state, in their natural form. But in the beginning, yeah, yeah it didn't make, I wanted to, because that's the way in which they were made. But it was just, it, it just proved to be more of a, a deterrent or more of a, a negative in my mind than it was a positive. Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough. I mean, I think I said at the beginning, you should try watching them subtitled. But at the same time, that's definitely not how I watched most of these for the first time. That they were, you know, a lot of them were on TV, the dub. And I think with animation, I mean, obviously it's different if we're watching like a you know, Hong Kong Kung Fu movie where it looks kind of stupid when it's dubbed over. But animation, you can get away with a lot, obviously. Oh, yeah. They're, they're great to, they're a great example of what, you know, you can, of things that can be easily tailored to different markets um, through like, you know, simple bit of, um, you know, good script writing to sort of fit everything in. But I suppose at the same time, like it's a balance between, again, wanting to appreciate all the visuals, which is often a reason why I would watch them dubbed initially. But then also, A, not getting distracted by, say, hearing maybe a voice you know um, or sort of over-Americanization of mm-hmm. the it's story. 
or the characters, and then also things that just wouldn't be don't translate well into English. So they're it's slightly changed or and I think, you know, we had the discussion with the Tale of Princess Kaguya. You said there's lots of narration and I'm like, I don't remember any narration. Again, there might have been <laughs> but obviously the American dubs also do add a lot of things in to try to explain things that wouldn't necessarily make sense to an American audience. Um, so yeah, it is, it's a trade-off. I think for some, it definitely doesn't matter or it works. It's, it's, you know, you might get more wrapped up to it if it's in English, just cause you're, you know, it's what we're more used to. Um, and then for some, I think it might work against it. Like Tale of Princess Kaguya. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, you did what you needed to do for yourself anyway. So it's not like you stuck to the subs and didn't have as good an experience anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's they were the two main points I wanted to cover. So why don't we get into our little awards? So basically, um, we'll give a bunch of there's five different categories. You give a few different nominees, and then you can tell us your winners. I don't know if you had a specific number of um, nominees per category. I think I said five, but I don't know if you um, followed my instructions because you never do. Um, how how, how have you done it yep just five and i picked one perfect okay let's start with our favorite hero by which i mean i guess protagonist i suppose what who are your five um and then okay so i didn't take it as protagonist so if it would have been protagonist it would have been different but i actually really went with like heroes people who like challenged and did things so i did ponyo nausicaa ashitaka howl and Totoro. And my favorite hero, like hero hero, was uh, Nausicaa. Totoro. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think, and, and if you want me to, if you want to challenge me on that, I think Totoro is a hero because, I mean, again, I'm beating this dead horse, but I think Totoro is a fiction of, or a manifestation of grief and, um, and a children's imagination. And so I think that to me, that's that the hero aspect of that is, is our, our own human psyche's ability to create things in the moment that we need the most to help us through difficult times. And so there's something heroic about that to me. And so I find Totoro to be a hero. Yeah. Wrong. You're misreading that. It's a giant fluffy creature. (laughs) You're reading way too much into it. That's crazy. Um, Mine were, were more strictly, um, I guess the main characters of the films. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, I basically just went through each film and I'm like, oh, it could be this one. It could be, I don't know. I'm, I'm not convinced that any of these ones that I have for any of these are correct in my mind. But I have Kiki. I have, from Kiki's delivery service, you may have heard of it. Um, <laughs> Shizuku from Whisper of the Heart, because obviously I love that film. I have Taiko from Only Yesterday, because I think she's a very interesting, um, well-rounded character who we see both as a child and as an adult. Nausicaa, classic. You know, she's just, she's the perfect sort of like. I love her. Ghibli heroine and I chucked in Porco just so it weren't all women (laughs) he's a bit of fun fun too but my favorite is probably Kiki and I don't know why that's definitely not one that's not like my favorite film and it's not in my like top five either but it's just because she's not in like a narrative that requires her to like fight evil monsters it's very much I think that's one of his strictest character pieces obviously you know something like Chihiro could is, is you know not that different I suppose in some ways but just, you know, she, she like you say, she goes, goes on a complete journey. You know, she loses her powers, you know, which is sort of, a, you know, a metaphor for sort of like self-confidence or puberty or however you want to 
to be and then sort of gets it back again. And she's just like, she's such like a strong, like so, you know, she's a nice girl, but she's not perfect. She gets angry at people. Um, she has a hard time. She works away. I don't know. I, should, I just think she's such a cute little thing. Um, and yeah, so she's probably my favorite, my favorite main character. Um, how about villains? Who's your favorite villain? And how did you sort of define villain in, in your mind? Uh, in my mind, villain was definitely like, like the more to the end of like antagonist who was really disrupting, who was, um, who was making the protagonist life grief. So that's kind of what I went down with it. And I, my top five or my nominees were the count from Lupin the third. And I chose him mostly cause he was just so like clearly evil. Like his yeah. face was even just like animated evilly and like, anyhow, um, Lady Eboshi. Um, I thought that, yeah, very, very willing to just give up everything just to protect her people, um, from Princess Monoke. And then I chose just to be funny cause I thought you'd laugh. The Cat King from the character. <laughs> King, Jesus. <laughs> Open the bun with a barrel. Uh, he is. He's a bad villain. He's a dick. Um, uh, Yubaba. And mm. then Colonel Muska. Muska. Oh, yeah. Um, and my favorite was, or the winner was Yubaba. Because I feel like she was, like, the most evil. Like, don't get me wrong. There's some complexity there. But, like, which one are your parents? And if you can't pick them, then... <laughs> gonna murder them or whatever like very evil she was pretty evil but she she was given sort of more shades of character than say um the the count in um mm-hmm. Cagliostro and um Muska in Lapido who's like just pretty out and out villainous I had two crossovers with you um and they were Lady Eboshi and Yubaba who I yeah I think are just great characters um the Witch of the Waste in House Moving Castle, I quite like. I almost had like an interesting. Uh, I just love that her main flaw is that she's just like really horny and for how, <laughs> like all the way to the end, she just really wants his heart. Like she doesn't really become like a perfect person. She like kind of ruins things for them in many ways by like you know when she's an old lady like trying to get the heart and like the fire and everything. <laughs> she actually kind of screws everything up. Um, one which is. It's hard to say she's a villain, but I put Dola from uh, Castle in the Sky because she definitely starts out. Um, she's definitely, you know, she's chasing the protagonist and wants something yeah. from them. But you know, she becomes more of a protagonist in the end. But and you love she's, that a, she's a fun subversion of what who we expect the villain to be, and then obviously the real villain sort of pops up. Um, and the last one, <laughs> I had humans in Pompoko, but then I'm like, that's not a real one. Um, I forgot I didn't. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I haven't like okay, that's. No, the humans don't really do anything. I mean, I guess maybe the, the corporations, perhaps, or the government mm-hmm. is the issue. Um, I had Lady Sagami in um, the Tale of Princess Kaguya, who is like the lady of the house, who is sort of oh, yeah. to be a lady. Again, not there's nothing wrong with her. She just represents something that um, Kaguya isn't and doesn't want to be. And I find her quite scary as well in many ways. So... Um, Let's move on to favorite. Wait, who was your movie. winner? Oh, Eboshi. She, like I, I said, maybe in um, Princess Monoki episode, she's maybe my favorite character in any uh, Ghibli film. I just think she's the perfect um, antagonist. Well, no, yeah. I mean, she's she has her reasons for doing things, mm-hmm. and they're totally understandable. And she's done a lot of great things as well. She's you know, 
Yeah. She's leading this whole city. She's got all the, um, you know, she's given lepers and prostitutes jobs in her town. And maybe she's like killing off the forest, but, you know, that's what she thinks she has to do uh, in order to uh, keep everyone alive and happy. So, um, yeah, I love her. She's great. And wait, did you watch Mononoke in English or Japanese? Do you remember? English, most likely. Yeah, I just, I think um, Mini Driver's performance is great as well in the English dub, which is how I I relate that character to her, that, to her voice as well, that sort of, you know, sort of British voice. You know, she, she knows she's very poised and she knows everything um, and she knows what she needs to do. Oh, I just love it. Uh, let's move on to favourite non-human character. You've already um, given one in Totoro as one of your heroes. Does Totoro double up or do you have... Five new ones. Nope, Totoro doubles up. So I have Calcifer from Howl's. Oh, yeah. This is so funny and just like... That's a good one. Yeah, I love Calcifer. Um, Totoro. And then I have the cat bus, just because, like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, no Face from Spirited Away. And Turnip Head from Howl's Moving Castle. So Howl's, like, has, like, a lot. Yeah. Um, my and winner was Totoro. Totoro. Yeah. yeah. You have two from Totoro. Totoro. Oh, yeah. I'm, like, just, like, fully Totoro and Howl's Moving Castle. <laughs> yeah. Um... I have six here, so I'm not even going to bother cutting one out. Um, the similarities, and I also had Totoro slash Cat Bus, so that's a cheat. Well, um, that is cheat. I would have also said an honorable mention would be the Sitsits from Spirited Away, so it would have been like two, two, and two. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, and and I mean, they're also in Totoro as well, but it's like sort of split, mm-hmm. split sprites, like similar. Yeah. Um, and the other um, one that you had also was No Face, who's just an amazing character. I'm going to say he's probably the winner. I didn't actually choose one, but that would be the winner. It's just such a creepy character who only all she, all he wanted to do or whatever it wanted to do was sort of please Chihiro because Chihiro let him in, but does so in like the creepiest way possible by like eating people. I don't know. It's so, (laughs) it's just like, that. just that, that, huh, huh. It's just horrifying. (laughs) Yes. Uh, a couple more I had was Gigi from Kiki's Livery Service. Cute little mm-hmm. cat. Yeah, um, I thought about that. I had the Kodama in Mononoke, the little forest spirits, the little white creatures. It's not a character, but, you know, there's a bunch of them. Uh, and I also have the Ohms in Nausicaa. Again, not a character, oh, yeah. a creature. I think they were incredibly designed and animated. And the last one is Heen in Howl's Moving Castle, so the dog. Oh, Remember the dog? Remember the dog from yeah. the um, yeah. Madame Solomon's dog? I think it's just it's a cute little dog. Um, yeah, so I had a lot more cats and dogs. Than- <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go to favorite shot and then we'll end with favorite scene. What were some of your favorite shots? I think I just listed like 80, um, but you go. <laughs> yeah, um, my favorite shots, I just did five. Obviously there's so many more, but I really whittled them down because this is an award ceremony. Where um, all the planes in Porco Rosso, when he's mm. like remembering, we talked about that, but like, you know, we beat that. We talked about that a lot. So loved that. Um, I can't stop thinking about the ocean creatures on the road in Ponyo when she like looks down and all those like prehistoric ocean creatures. So that was one of them. Um, only yesterday when they're sitting on the, the hillside and they're looking out and the sun is rising and all those like marigold flowers are behind them. Love that shot. Um, the, the the opening scene with Setsuko 
in Grave of the Fireflies when he's like remembering and he gets the candy tin and he looks mm-hmm. out and she's just like standing there and it's all the fireflies. And then um, the bus stop, Spirited Away. And that's my winner is the, the water and the bus stop. But which shot like are you referring to exactly? Like sitting and waiting at the bus stop. Okay. <laughs> that's a great scene. Um, yeah. yeah. Mine were... Yeah, I find it, I, like I said, I said before we started recording, I found scene a lot easier. Like I could think of a million scenes, but shots, I mean, I could have gone through all of the notes that I had from the movies if I had kept them um, from these episodes. But I was just kind of like, what sort of, what moments sort of come to me when I sort of think about these movies, especially my favorite movies? Um, and, you know, and like what in my head is actually a shot and not like, a sequence of three shots or some, you know, mm-hmm. like I had to try to really think of what they were. Um, the shot of Chihiro running through the flowers in Spirited Away when she's sort of going through the bushes, for some, that's just like one of the clearest images in my head um, of any Studio Ghibli film, just because I thought it was so beautiful at the time when I watched it. And um, it was kind of the, one of the first uses of sort of that sort of 3D animation that he would use a little bit more in, um, future films. I just think it's such a gorgeous shot. I don't know. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Just sort of, yeah. Okay. Just make sure. Uh, from Princess Mononoke, the scene where she's in the forest and she spots the forest god in in the distance and it kind of zooms in on the, the deer-like creature with sort of the sunset in the background. Oh, yeah. I remember talking about that. That's a stunning shot. I'd say, again, this is, I suppose, just like a very small part of it, but... um part of the earthquake scene in the wind rises, just basically the shot of the houses sort of rising up and falling. I just think it's like a credibly complicated shot. And um, like that whole scene is done with just like a few different shots in like 30 seconds. And it's, you know, it feels like something enormous has happened. Um, I think that's amazing. Just like from one of the very first ones where Nausicaa's under the eye of the ohm that she sort of cut out in the forest and she's just sort of laying under it while the poisonous spores fall on her. I think that that's like a beautiful a cool shot. shot. Yeah. Um, and I did, I did say um, in Totoro that same scene, but the shot where you can see Totoro's feet coming while from under the umbrella, she's sort of like looking at the ground and oh, yeah. that's, and it's like scratches his leg or something like that. That shot in particular, I think was, great storytelling i don't know what i'm on now but last one <laughs> the shot um in with and whisper of the heart where it sort of goes from the fantastical world of the story that she's writing and sort of pans down from the clouds and goes down to her sort of running like it goes down it like pans down to the cityscape below and sort of her running down the stairs and the shot just sort of continues from like the sky to the to the ground i thought that was a fantastic shot um and tells the story really cleanly. And yeah, that, they were the main ones. I, think I, I wrote more, but that's, <laughs> they're the ones. And my favorite one, oh, I don't know. I'm just going to go with the Chihiro flower shot. Again, it's one that doesn't mean anything, but. But it stuck with you. There's so much in like a couple seconds. I'm just like, oh my God, it's beautiful. Um, and the last award for favorite scene what are your nominees my nominees would be 
I, I mean, it's very similar. I already just kind of talked about it, but the opening scene with Grave of Fireflies, like I write when that started and he's at the, the train station or bus stop. It's a train station. Um, and I was just like, Oh, okay. This is a different movie. This isn't like a very going to be a very happy film. Um, I just think that that is just beautifully animated and it really just sets the tone for the whole film. And it, and it establishes that, you know, that this little girl is dead. Uh, yeah. I could talk about that all day. Um, the whole scene with them traveling on the train. So sitting on the train, just going through the water and then, I mean, sorry, it's spirited away and going through the water and it's just skimming and pushing some of that water out. Like so cool. So beautiful. I could just watch that scene over and over and over again. Um, princess and princess Kaguya, her running away. You, and we talked about that, you know, two episodes, three episodes ago. Um, I don't think that there's any other example in all of these films that uses the form of animation better to tell a moment of anxiety and grief and intensity mm-hmm. than, than that moment. Um, I really, this is going to be maybe a weird one, but I wanted a kind of more of a fun one. And it was uh, <laughs> Ponyo when, when she just like fucks everything up and, makes the ocean erupt and kind of just i like that it's just an incredibly explosive fun way to animate um i don't really understand the differences between her inside and outside the home with the water and white we talked about that but it exploding and you know her creating all the madness i thought that that was a really cool scene and then my favorite is the only because it was so profoundly i mean emotionally impactful to me, was the Grave of the Fireflies the ending with the right. montage where you find out that she she's dead, and I just remember like bawling my eyes out. And so that one sat with me and it hasn't left me since. And we watched that almost you know a year ago. So and that was your favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't chosen anything from Grave of the Fireflies for any of these because I think I kind of went to the ones, the ones that I've seen the most and the ones that I um enjoy the most obviously don't enjoy grave the fireflies at all but it's a great <laughs> I, I can acknowledge that all of those scenes are amazing sequences um i have six here because why not mm-hmm. i'm editing this um i'll just start with my favorite it's the, the train sequence in spirited away and it's just one of those w- I, I couldn't even really tell you what that scene is about necessarily um it feels quite removed from the scenes that come before and afterwards but it's just there's something so so beautiful about that scene it's so somber it introduces you to a completely new part of the world which we've never seen and never see again after that and it's just like a series of what it's just like you know it's a completely wordless scene for like a couple of minutes the the track that goes with it the sixth station is yeah my favorite piece of music for any of these movies Mm -hmm. and it's just like it doesn't matter if i don't totally understand how that scene connects with what came before and after it's just a beautiful short film about this girl traveling through some weird um other world that she doesn't understand but has has to do it yeah it's just an amazing sequence and i don't i can never explain it but i think it's amazing yeah i love it um i think i mentioned I guess when I spoke about these episodes, so my, my top three scenes that I, I were probably that one, the Project Spectre 
that's what at least what it's called in the American version in Pompoco, the parade that they put on. Um, with oh, all, I forgot about that. Yeah. All manner of amazing creatures um, and weird folklore mixed with a real Tokyo development in the 90s and transforming raccoons all sort of put together. Um, that's just an extended fantastic scene of all the weird things you could possibly put on screen at the same time. I just think that's so amazing. Like, yeah, that whole thing is amazing. Um, and then the third major scene being um, the story that he tells in um, Porco Russell. You had it as one of the shots, but I think the scene itself of all of the um, airplanes sort of, of, of dead fallen um, soldiers going off to heaven or whatever, and sort of becoming a big sort of contrail in the sky um, that he thinks is a cloud, but it's, yeah, the spirits of the fallen soldiers, um, pilots, um, that sort of a stunning scene and sort of adds just like an extra layer to what is a pretty silly film about a pig <laughs> who does dog A fight. gangster pig. Yeah. Um, the next three that I put were just, I mean, it's not, this is kind of a cheat, but like the scenes where they, where they just land in Laputa and they're exploring it for the first time, essentially the first five to 10 minutes of that, just in terms of create again, like not wordlessly, but it could be wordlessly just like the first sort of five, 10 minutes that they're there creating this world sort of out of nothing. And, you know, and this is a place that they've been looking for the whole time it would be very disappointing if they got there and it's like, oh, it's not very exciting. But as soon as you mm-hmm. get there, there's something sort of magical and otherworldly about it, but also very real and rooted in um, in nature and sort of a recognizable beauty. And I just, yeah, those scenes are just of them exploring the, the outside of the castle um, and the island were pretty beautiful, I think. And um, yeah, good storytelling. The... Scene in Princess Mononoke when the forest god um, changes from being that big sort of night walker to the um, deer and all like the Kadama come out to the sky and then all then there's like a big sort of um, sort of storm wind that ravages sort of the whole forest and then it's sort of I don't know, it's hard to explain but if you've seen it then you know <laughs> you know what the scene that I'm talking <laughs> about it's just it's so epic um, and yeah it's an amazing sequence two and the final one was you already mentioned it kaguya um busting out of her thing again it's a dream sequence um but you don't really know it immediately at the time that that's what's happening such a amazing um animated scene that depicts yeah her her inner sort of turmoil and how much she wants to break free but can't in any recognizable way do that so she's sort of having this abstract dream sequence about her just destroying everything in and leaving behind everything she had and returning sort of naked to the forest, basically. And yeah, they're my five plus one favorite scenes. Shall we now get to our final rankings of the 23 films that we have watched? Why don't you start with your 23rd film? Your least favorite. My least favorite would be the ocean waves. Mine is Tales from Earth Sea. <laughs> yes, I, I never want to watch that movie again. 
Mine, my next one would be my my neighbor's the Yamadas. Uh, mine is the Ocean Waves. So there was one film that I liked less than that. Honestly, <laughs> I, I would watch the Ocean Waves again if I was in a light <sighs> mood for it. Woof. The, the Tales from Mercy is the only one I would not. <laughs> yeah, I think one? that we should. Well, I'm gonna when we're done with the final ranking, I want to. I'll tell you the top five that I want to watch again. Yes, let's do that. Um, my next yeah. one would be the Tales from Mercy. So we're like all very close there. Yeah, and my um, well, except I don't dislike my neighbors as near, near, near as much as you do because it's interesting. Uh, my twenty-one is the Cat Returns. What is your twenty? Um, I'm like completely off. Is there really twenty-three? I must have like I doubled so. up somewhere. Eh. I already <laughs> my twenty. Well, we'll we'll figure that out. My name is going order. Well, my, yeah, yeah, the Cat Returns. <laughs> yeah, my twenty is um from up on Poppy Hill. My next one's from Up on Poppy Hill. I literally don't remember that film. I just don't it's, remember it. It's, it's a bit of a nothing film, to be honest. Yeah. Like it's 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 cute, but it's whatever. Again, that's not one I'm going to return to um, very much. Yeah. So your nineteen was from Up on Poppy Hill, and mine is mm-hmm. Arietti. What is your eighteen? Arietti. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we we agree on most of these. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and my eighteen is Lupin the Third, Castle of Cagliostro. Um, what is your 17? Whoop in the third. <laughs> hey, there we go. Uh, it's basically just my neighbor's name. I'm just everything off. <laughs> my 17 is when Marnie was there. What is your 16? Interesting. Mine um, then goes Porco Rosso. So we're going to start to differ. Um, my 16 is my neighbor's the Amadas. Ooh. Finally got there. So still in the bottom half, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your 15? Uh, Whisper of the Heart. Okay. Wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm so critical. Um, mine is Ponyo, actually. Ooh. Quick side note, the only film, that's the only one where the film that I'm going to say next got a lower rating, but I enjoy it more, so I swapped them. So mm-hmm. I can do Mine, that. Mine's all over the place. Yeah. Um, what is your 14? So after Whisper of the Heart, uh, when Marnie was there. Okay. Oh, you didn't mind that. That's kind of middling for you. Yeah. Um, mine is Porco Rosso. So like I said, I gave that a 7.5 because I understand as a movie it's not perfect, but um, I would I would watch that. I've, I've seen that so many times and it's, it's just such an easy film to return to. And I'd watch that before I watched Ponyo again, mm-hmm. again, probably because what it means to me and like where I was um, at the time mm-hmm. in my life when I watched it. Um, what is your 13th? Uh, Kiki's delivery service. Ooh. Mine is the wind rises. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait, didn't you see? That's where we. That's where we got messed up. I have two fifteens. See, that's okay. why. So, mine would have been before Poker Rosso. I'm looking at it right now. Would have been The Wind Rises before Poker Rosso. Oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> I have two fifteens. That's why I was like, we have twenty three. Um. Well, I will just keep going down my list. <laughs> I'll, yeah, I'll say sorry. mine numbers. I don't know if they add up to yours. My we match now. Okay, so you have. Your last one would have been your 12th then. 
Um, mm-hmm. Oh, no, I don't know. Say your 13 and 12th, because I just did... My, my 13 was yeah. Wind Rises. Okay. And my... Have you done your 12th yet? I did. It was Kiki's Delivery Service. Kiki, and my 12th is My Neighbor Totoro. Okay, now we match up. Sorry for that little faux pas. No, that's okay. Um, What is your 11th? My 11th would be Pompoko. Okay, higher than I thought. Um, And mine is Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Ooh. So I've said a, two, a couple of your favorites just then. Totoro yeah. and Nausicaa. Rude. Top half. <laughs> just. Um, what is your 10? Okay. Ponyo. Ponyo. Okay. Yeah. You didn't mind that. I don't mind that. Nope. I'd rather, I don't know. Like, it's just fun. Yeah. No, I like, I like Ponyo too. Um, my 10 is Kiki's Delivery Service. What is your nine? Uh, the Tale of the Princess Kaguya. Ooh, mine is Only Yesterday. Um, how about eight? Uh, Castle in the Sky. Oh, okay. Has it, yeah, I feel like you didn't move out that the first time. That's good. Yeah, It's moved up. Um, mine is Pompoko is my eight. What's your seven? Um, Princess Mon, okay. Same. Yeah. Twinsies. Six. Only yesterday. Oh, nice. Mine's a Taylor Princess Kaguya. Mm-hmm. Five. How's Moving Castle? Same. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real five film. Um, four. Spirited Away. Well, mine is Whisper of the Heart. <laughs> <laughs> it is very high on the list. I don't know. I don't know it if is. that makes sense, but I love it. Um, numero three. Oh. Nausicaa. Mm. Which was, yeah, mine 11th. Uh, and mine is Grave of the Fireflies. Mm-hmm. Two. My neighbor Totoro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do love that. Um, mine is Castle in the Sky, Laputa. And your number one, which I know, obviously. Yeah, my number one of all time, Grave of the Fireflies. Yep, and that was one of our early ones, too. Yeah. Um, and mine is Spirited Away, because that is one of the greatest films ever made, you know. <laughs> I mean, even, even if you were like, eh. Um, what, what did you put Spirited again? Uh, four. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's up there. And for me, it's like, when we kind of touched on this in the uh, its own episode itself, is that I think that that one just, everyone put the bar so freaking high that my expectations were never going to meet it from watching it one time. And that's why, what I kind of mean by like, what are the films that I want to rewatch now that I've already seen them? I can remove the expectations. I'm not like sitting there thinking the entire time, like what do people think of this movie? Why do people love this movie so much where I can just enjoy it myself? Um, I have a few films that yeah, tell us your I've already, question. yeah. I've, so I've already, I've seen my neighbor Toro twice. I've already rewatched Nausicaa. So mm. that tells you something. Um, in terms of like going forward, what I would re- want to rewatch the most would be Castle in the Sky, Only Yesterday, How's Moving Castle, Spirited Away, and that's it. I would okay. really love to watch those <laughs> again. Yeah, that's the second season of this show is of this podcast <laughs> to rewatch them the again re- and then talking about them again. The retrospective. What did you think of um, Nausicaa the second time? Did you still enjoy it? Yeah, a lot. I, uh, so I, I watched that with my friend Ryan. Um, wow, cool invite. I lo- what stood out to me more that time um, was the, 
the music. The music is so freaking good in that film. And like, other than like you, you said Spirited Away, the music on the train sequence and all that. There's like some moments throughout these films that they have really good music. But for me, the 80s have the best music. And that's just my like natural affinity for 80s music and kind of like that, like video gaming score or whatever. But yeah, oh, the music in Nausicaa is just so freaking good. Yeah. And it's easy to forget that, um, you know, 20 films later, probably that's not the thing that sort of stands out when you think about the movie. It's, right. just, it's quite a classically animated film. And that, that kind of synthy score sort of stops um, with moments in Laputa and then everything from that on is very sort of traditionally um, orchestrated. So yeah, that is, that is a product of its era for sure. Yeah. The first couple of. Um, and I love it. I miss it. Wow. Look, we've gotten through all of it. Who'd have thunk? We did it. Do you have anything else you want to say before we sign off? No, I'm just excited to like never talk to you again. Now that we got through these. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Wow. It was great doing this with you as well. (laughs) <laughs> no this was awesome um i don't think i would have ever have done this i don't, I don't think i would have ever have i think that somebody could have convinced me to watch one or two of these films but like we said before we started out doing this when you presented the idea to me it was a, a little overwhelming at first but then the idea of having structure to go through these and be able to talk about them with somebody rather mm-hmm. than just sitting and watching them myself there's no way in a million years i would have ever sat through and watched 23 studio ghibli films yeah. Um, and it took us a year, but we did it. And I think that's a, I think that's good timing in terms of watching 23 different films and ingesting them and talking about them and being critical and rating them and um, sorting them. And yeah, so it was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you. And it gave us something to do in a year where things were a bit weird. <laughs> yeah, very much so. And hopefully as we finish this, things are maybe coming out of it a little bit who knows we could all be dead um yeah who knows? before i post this episode um <laughs> but um yeah this was really fun to do i'm glad you did it with me um you were maybe my third fourth choice um to do this <laughs> but, um, was the one you went with um yeah uh but no this has been really fun it was a good excuse to watch these films which i loved and i loved even if you didn't if you don't like them as much as me because what would be the odds of that um uh-huh. i'm glad that you definitely found some enjoyment from most of these um oh for sure it was fun to share them with you and thank you for coming along this journey mm-hmm. well i'll see you on the other side then bye